Hello, welcome to Motherhood Out Loud, a safe place for mothers to talk openly about their experiences without fear of judgment or shame. Our hope is for women to realize that we're not alone in the variety of emotions we feel and that we're able to provide a more loving community for future moms. Let's take take our our power power back and and live motherhood motherhood out loud. With Carla and Cindy. Hi guys, it's Cindy and Carla again. Um, So today's episode is going to be mostly me talking. I am sure Carla will chime in at some points, but um, like I think a lot of you know if you follow me on social media or know me personally, um, about a month ago, I had what's called an ectopic pregnancy. Um, So an ectopic pregnancy, obviously like nothing that I say is medical advice. I'm just telling you kind of what I know and what I've learned, but An ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy that um, pretty much implants itself anywhere outside of the uterus. Um, Most times it's inside of your fallopian tube. Um, And it could potentially be life-threatening. So it's something that has to be addressed um, either with medication or surgery pretty quickly um, to prevent any any bad outcomes. So they fear like that you'll bleed pretty much... um, to a point where like you die. Uh, so, so just to like backtrack on the experience. So I had been doing the, uh, Creighton model of charting my cycle that I've talked about before. So I've been charting for about almost a year. Um, so I had the miscarriage in September of last year and that was kind of a surprise one pregnancy because my dad had just passed away. So I wasn't really tracking my cycle um, when I found out I was pregnant. So that happened. And then we started to try and I just, I, I keep a lot of this stuff private, even from like Carla and stuff like that, because of, of, I just have experienced a lot of loss. So it's hard for me to, to, uh, open up about it. Like even to Chris, sometimes like I feel like if, you know, we're excited and then it's just going to end. So it's really hard to um, tell anybody, but so we were actively trying. So I I knew exactly like the dates that we conceived. Um, I found out it was actually crazy. Like eight days post ovulation, I started to have a nausea. And so I was like, that's weird. And it's super early. I mean, who knows if that was actually like a symptom of anything, but I was like, that's weird. You know, I never have nausea like that. Um, and this time around I did have my nurse practitioner was able to help me with progesterone injections. So I was doing progesterone injections, like as soon as I found out that I was pregnant. So I found out I was pregnant exactly at 14 days post ovulation. Um, and we started on the progesterone right away. Um, so I was pretty much doing everything that was within my power to do. Um, and honestly, like ectopic pregnancy was not something that I ever considered would happen to me. Um, if anything, I just thought that I would, that I would have a miscarriage. Like that was as far as, as I ever thought. So, um, yeah, I did. I was doing progesterone injections, um, twice a week and those really hurt um, actually. So, which I was warned about, but it, yeah, it's pretty painful. Um, 
And Chris was giving them to me. And then one of the times I got like a reaction on my butt and I, and he like totally freaked out. He's like, I can't do this to you anymore. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I promise. Like, um, so, so yeah, that's, that's what we were doing. And, and I was really doing everything that I could possibly do, right. To, to try to make sure that this pregnancy was gonna, gonna go through. So what happened after that was that at about actually like, so when I took my first uh, injection, cause I had started with, um, it was just a kind of a mess to get the prescription for progesterone, like, and to get it to a pharmacy. So I was taking oral progesterone. So then at five weeks exactly, which was on a Friday, I took the first injection um, of the progesterone. And then shortly after I started to have like some weird cramping and abdominal cramping. And so I I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have a miscarriage because it felt similar. So I started to like, I had like a big, pretty big, like not gush, but like I wiped myself and there was quite a bit of blood on my, on the toilet paper. It was bright red. Um, and then after that, it kind of just went to pink and it never progressed. But of course, like I was already like, well, this is a miscarriage. Like there's not much that I can do. Um, so then I contacted the, my midwife, Annie. She already knew that I was pregnant. So um, I told her what was happening and I told my nurse practitioner as well. So we decided that we would do an HCG level the next, like on Tuesday or something like that. Actually, it was, yeah, yeah, we did it like on a Tuesday the following week. Um, and we would kind of take it from there. So the HCG, they usually like to do like two draws to just make sure that HCG is increasing. So I kept spotting like all, like for a week I was spotting. And then, but it was just very minimal spotting, like only when I would wipe and it was light pink. So it was just, it was kind of strange. Um, and then I did my HCG result, my HCG test and the results were like 500 and something. So for the amount of weeks that I was at that time, like five weeks and two days, it was within the range. It was just like on the lower side. So I was a little bit like weary because I'm like, well, I would have liked it to be like on the higher end of things, but it wasn't. Um, But, you know, there was really nothing that we could do. I was already taking progesterone. Um, It was just like, and it wasn't like necessarily a bad thing. Like it was just, we had to wait to see what the next number would be. Um, and so she wanted me to take the the next one a few days later. Um, and then at some point the bleeding had stopped the spotting. And then, so I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like, I wonder what's happening, but okay. Cause some women do have spotting like in the beginning of their pregnancy and then it goes away and nothing's wrong. So then on Monday, the following Monday, so I was like six weeks in a day, um, I went ahead and went to go do my repeat HCG in the morning um, and also my progesterone because they check my progesterone because I'm getting the injections. Um, and actually, my progesterone initially was actually pretty good. Um, like I was borderline of even needing the injections. So that was that was an exciting thing. Um, so I went to go get my HCG drawn. And I remember that morning, me and my mom took my son to the park And then I started to have like cramping again and then it went away. And then I started to have like this weird pain on my left lower abdomen, but it was like a very, very light amount of pain. Like if I had to rate it on like a zero to 10, like 10 being the worst, it was probably like a two. It was just kind of like annoying and there, that's it. Um, So of course I got nervous again and 
the spotting came back and I was like, well, that's weird. Um, I just kind of like didn't know what to do, but I said, there's not much. Like I just have to wait to see what these results are um, in case I need to, I am going to miscarry and then I'll just stop the progesterone. That was pretty much my, my plan was that I'll stop the progesterone and allow my body to miscarry if that was, that's what was happening. Um, and so then later, I don't know what happened. I was just resting and waiting for my husband to come home from work. And just something came into my mind because of that little bit of pain that I was having. Um, and the spotting, I was just like, hmm, like, I don't know why. I just thought, let, let me look up what the symptoms of an ectopic pregnancy are. Um, so Chris, since he is like a nurse practitioner, he has access to like this app um, that kind of tells you like more on the medical side of things, like what symptoms are and stuff like that. So I went into there and I put like ectopic pregnancy and I'm reading the symptoms and stuff. And they were just like super nonspecific symptoms. Like it, it was basically like you could have mild to severe pain. Um, it's usually unilateral, which means it's on one side. So I was like, okay, well, I have that. And they were like uh, intermittent bleeding. And I was like, well, I have that. And so I don't know, I just started to like freak out about it. Um, so when Chris got home, I told him like, hey, you know what? Like, I don't feel good about this. Like, let's just go to the to the ER, like one of the standalone ERs. So he took me, um, I mean, my mom was like pretty, everybody was pretty like upset about what was happening. And we went and that, I mean, we waited like so long. It was just like a part of me almost wishes I hadn't gone just because they didn't really do much. Like it could have been handled the next when the next day when things got handled but I went and obviously like the ER doctor like he's not an OB so they're minimal training um in that and they did an ultrasound and all he could really tell me was that there was no pregnancy inside of my uterus so he's like either you're too early or or something is going on and I just, I didn't say anything, but in my mind, I knew I wasn't too early. Like I knew exactly when I conceived, but I was just like, I'm not going to have this talk with him because he's not like, he's just, that's not his specialty. So I'm just going to be like, okay, well, I'm putting that in the back of my mind. Like for sure, I'm not off on my dates, like for sure. So that's kind of it. He offered to do labs, but since I had already done an HCG that morning, I was like, I'm just going to wait because I'll get the results tomorrow right? It's nothing that's like my vital signs were stable. I wasn't having an excessive amount of bleeding. By that time, it had picked up a bit more, like it was not just spotting, but I still wasn't like bleeding terribly. And the pain was still like a one to two. So he, all he told me pretty much was after all the waiting, he was just kind of like, well, if the pain gets really bad, then go to the hospital. Yeah. And what's up, Carla? What would like, what was your pain like? What was your pain like? Like, did it feel like a sharp pain? Did it feel just like achy? Like, because it's, you're saying the, the symptoms are so broad, right? So like, what, yeah. what was it like for you? It was just like a weird little, like almost like if every once in a while, someone would like poke me really lightly from the inside. Just kind of like a, like a tiny, I'd like, I don't even, it wasn't sharp. It wasn't like, oh, like I would, I wouldn't like, it was just like a constant little, like if someone was just pushing inside, it was really, really weird. Um, so that's why like, it you know, you could have mistaked it for like, I don't know, maybe like if you have gas pain sometimes, like, you know, 
something, un pedo atorado. <laughs> you know, like a little, a little pain. Like that's literally what I, I would have probably thought had I not been pregnant and all of this stuff was going on. Um, so he just told me that if I started to have a lot of pain to go to the hospital, um, and obviously he was like, don't come here because like it's, and I know that, but don't come to like a standalone ER. Like if you really are in a lot of pain, like just go to the, a normal ER with the hospital. Uh, and he said to follow up with my, my doctor. So I said, okay. And I, I, we went home. Um, you know, the big fear with this is that you could rupture your fallopian tube. Um, or I guess pretty much wherever the pregnancy is that, that place will, that structure will rupture, which is where the bleeding and all of that would happen. So I was pretty afraid of that. And I was like on my mind that I didn't want that to happen because I didn't want to scare Chris or to die. Like I was just like, that couldn't be what's going to happen. So we went to bed and I, you know, Chris was a little upset because he, I guess he was just like, what are we going to do? And my thing was that in the morning I was going to see my results of the HCG and go from there. Right. So if my HCG had dropped, cause that's another, like, I guess a more like quantitative, symptom of a ectopic is that your your HCG rises, but it doesn't rise as much as it should. So I knew that if my HCG dropped, then I was miscarrying. If it went up by not that much, I knew that it was likely something else was happening. So Chris was just frustrated because he's like, I feel like you just want to do everything natural and like sometimes we need help. And I was like, I'm not like in my head, I'm just like, I'm not like, I'm not irrational or I'm not going to like, I'm going to be reasonable. Like I totally know that if this is the way it's going, that I have to go to a doctor. Like I get it. I wasn't going to try anything. Um, like I always tell him, I was telling him that Jamie was my doula from when I had Yandel and she's like, we're close now. And I'm like, you think that me and Jamie like are going to like rub rocks on my stomach to try to get the ectopic pregnancy to like go away? Like, that's what you think we're going to do. I'm like, no, like I'm not dumb. You know, like I'm like, I'm not about to risk my life on something that could be dangerous. Um, So we kind of like I went to bed. I was like, well, and I could sleep through the pain. Like, that's the thing. Like, it just wasn't enough pain. Um, So in the morning, I wake up like at seven. I check my email and like I have my results from Quest. And I see it and I'm like, dang it. Cause it went up to like, like 1200 or something, my HCG, but it didn't go up enough. Cause it would have had to have been like times four or something. And I was like, ugh. so I told Chris, I said, we're going to have to go to the doctor. Like I'm going to have to find an OB that can see me pretty quickly. Um, because I knew what the, what was going to need to be done. Like my midwife couldn't do. And so I, we called, I I had a doctor in mind that, um, I know or have heard that he does good surgeries. Like he's good at doing those kind of, um, like gynecological surgeries. And so I called him, well, Chris called him actually. And he was just like, cause Chris thought that like, had I been seeing an OB, it's just like a lot of misconceptions, which is silly because we, we had a midwife, but he was like, 
it's because an OB would see you faster and they would have dealt with this faster. And I'm like, that's not true. And so sure, I'm glad that he called because when he called the office, they were like, oh, we'll see you. This was like, Mar- like March 28th or something like that. And they told him initially because he was just like, my wife's pregnant. Like we need an appointment. And they were like, oh, we'll see you April 20 something. Because by that time, like we could see the baby and like, you know what I mean? Like, and I told them, I told you, like, they're going to see me late because that's what they do. They don't see you immediately. Like nobody does. Like Annie saw me because we have a relationship and I told her what was going on and she was able to at least order my labs for me. But I've even heard of women like on the mom groups and stuff that they can't get in even with prior history of things. So it's, it's hard. So he told them that and he was like, no, you know what? Like she has a concern for an ectopic pregnancy and she would like to be seen um, as soon as possible. And luckily, like just a lot of things lined up for me that day. He, you know, he was the first person we called and he was like, they called back and told him like, you know what the doctor said, if you guys could get here now and he'll go ahead and, and look at her. So we went, um, Chris took the day he came with me Um you know, it was a pretty quick appointment. Like he was not like the best bedside manner initially. He just kind of like came in the room, got the vag- the transvaginal wand and was like, let's look. And I was like, well, what's your name? I mean, I knew it was him because I know what he looks like. Right. But and so he looks, he was just like, you know what? I don't see it. So that's another thing. So the ultrasounds in the ER are not that great. So they can't visualize like everything. That's why he told me like, I just know that there's not a pregnancy in your uterus. That's it. And the doctor, the OB, he was like, I, you know, he's like, my machine isn't that great. He's like, all I can tell you is that there's no pregnancy there. He's like, but I, I'm also concerned. Like, I understand your concern. So I'm going to send you to a high risk doctor and see if he could see you today. And so luckily he was able to see me right away as well. So we had like an hour and we went to go see the high risk doctor. Um, And so I go into high risk, um, obviously super nervous just because I didn't, like I had a feeling it was going to be this and I just didn't know what our options were going to be after that. Um, So we go the ultrasound tech, like she she does our ultrasound and it was just, I mean, I find you guys have to understand that this was a month ago and like I cope a lot with humor. So I, I just find little times in like what's going on and, and I try to make light of the situation, even though like, and I didn't handle it great. <laughs> That's also like, a uh, just because I make jokes about it or whatever, like it doesn't mean that it was a great experience cause it was not. But so when the ultrasound tech is, is getting me ready, I asked her like, how often have you seen an ectopic pregnancy? And she was like, you know what? I've never seen one. And she just said, oh, you know what? I saw one one time. And I was like, oh, okay. And so she starts doing my exam. And I told Chris that she was probably like, well, this is the second time that I've seen one because she, you know, so I just thought it was funny because she was probably like, wow, well, now this is number two. And of course, like they have to keep their face very serious. So she was just kind of like, she didn't give it away, nothing like that. Um, I just, when I was looking at the ultrasound, like I just noticed like something looked very large and I asked her what that was. She told me it was my ovary that was pretty big. And I was like, oh, okay. So, but she never told me anything. I was like, whatever. And so we went in the back and waited for the doctor and he took forever. And I mean, in this whole time I'm in communication with like some of my friends, like Carla and Carla was like, why is he taking so long? I'm like, I don't know, but he's taking forever. 
And he took like an hour and a half or something to come back to talk to us. And I was just like, what the heck? Why is he taking so long? But he was super like, I think he was a very good experience. He had really good like bedside manner. He was very nice. So he came in and um, like I shared with Carla before, like he walked in and like he gave me this look and I guess guys are just don't pick up anything because Chris did not recognize any look. But he gave me this like look where he like half smiled as he looked at me. It was like a pity, like a, like I'm about to tell you something and it's not good news. And so from that moment, I was like, I have an ectopic pregnancy. Like I knew it. And so he sat down and he was just like, what I liked about him is he let me tell him all the evidence that I had. Um, so I told him like, you know what? I chart my cycle. So I know that the dates are exact. Um, I was like, I have been doing labs and I know this and that, and my HCG was this and now it's that. Um, and he, he didn't like question my information. He didn't make me feel dumb. He looked at the lab work, um, that I had to show him and he was very kind and about that. Um, he told me, he was like, you know what? I took a long time because, and he had a medical student. So I'm almost wondering, or a resident, I can't remember. I'm almost wondering if it took him a long time because he was trying to teach him along the way. And he was just like, I, I took a long time because I really wanted to be thorough in looking at your images. And he's like, I entered the data into some calculator that they have. And he was like, I'm like 98% sure. It was like 98 or 99% sure that it's an ectopic pregnancy. Um, he did tell me like, you know, I don't want to be wrong because a one to 2% chance that there is a viable baby there, um, which I thought was kind of him to say, because it's like, he acknowledged that he's not, he's not a hundred percent sure. Right. But he showed me, um, the images and I, from my understanding, and this is just kind of from what I was told and understood, I guess in the ultrasound, you don't typically see the fallopian tubes, but he said in mine, he saw something there. He's like, I don't see a heartbeat, um, which I guess sometimes the baby's like, you could see the heartbeat and it's not in the right place. He's like, but I see inflammation. Like there's obviously something there. And then he said, I see a pocket of fluid next to it. And I think that's blood. Um, so obviously at that point, like something's causing the blood to come and pull there. Um, so he, he just told me, I, you know, what are our options? And he offered a a medication. Uh, I think it's methotrexate, which he did tell me like it's a chemo medication. Um, and I just, it didn't feel right for me to do chemo medication. Um, I'm still breastfeeding my son and I asked him about that and he was like, no, you would have to stop. Um, and I just, it just didn't feel like the right decision for me, especially because there was already what he thought was blood there. I just, I, it made me uncomfortable. I was like, well, if there's blood there, what if it's signaling another problem? And obviously this is me thinking as a nurse, right? I don't think it's obvious to everyone. Um, and not everyone's going to, which is also scary because, you know, what are you supposed to know? Like only what you know. So, um, we did, we opted not to do methotrexate because he also said that the, it has like an 80 or 70 to 86% chance of working. So it basically causes the pregnancy to dissolve and you bleed, like you bleed it out, you expel it. Uh, but I just didn't like the, the numbers. I was like 70 to 80%. It's a chemo drug. Like I can't breastfeed my son. And I just didn't want to 
I didn't want to do that. You know, I didn't want to be going through this big emotional thing and then also telling Yandel that like he cannot breastfeed anymore. Like it just seemed kind of traumatic in a lot of ways for me. Um, and the other option was surgery. He doesn't do the surgery. It would be the OB that I saw, which is why I went to him because he is known to do pretty good surgeries from what I hear. So he was like, I can call him and see when he's available to do your surgery. Um, he's like, usually what they do is they either take the tube completely. He's like, sometimes they'll try to like suck the pregnancy out and leave your tube. He's like, I'm not sure what the doctor would do for you, what he usually does. But he did tell me that in his, from his opinion in the research, that if they leave the tube in, um, because there was already something in there that shouldn't have been, like it changes the structure of the tube. And so it's likely like you're at a higher risk that it will happen again. And so I made the decision that I was going to get surgery. Um, and I told him something in me just like felt like it was an urgent thing. And so I told him if he could please try to get the doctor. Cause he told me like within the next 24 hours, but I was like, can you just have him do it as soon as he can? Like, even if it's today, like I'll, I need to have it done. I told him I have a really big fear that it's going to rupture. And I, I just don't want that to happen. And it be like a real big emergency. So he's like, yeah, I'll talk to him. And so, and he's like, I'll call you back. I'll call you. And as soon as like, I know what's going to happen. And so we literally walked to the parking lot and he called me and he's like, I told you I'd be fast. And I'm like, yeah. And he said, you know what? The doctor said for you to just go right now to the hospital. And so I was like, whoa, okay. So um, I went. And of course, like this whole time, like I'm crying. I think Chris is a little bit worried. Um, so we go like the hospital was literally across the street. So we just, we went and, you know, it was a little bit emotional for me because I didn't, I mean, Chris offered, I just, I couldn't bring myself to go talk to Yandel um, and just like say hi and or, you know, whatever. I just like it felt like it would be like a final, like if I was saying goodbye to him and I just didn't want to send that like out to the to the world that like I was going to say goodbye. So but it sucked because I hadn't really spent time with him and and, you know, I was going to the surgery and he has no idea. So and so um, we went and they put me in the ER pretty quickly. Um, and I just kind of waited for, for them to take me to surgery. Um, and, you know, it was funny because I don't usually say, tell people that I'm a nurse, but I feel like lately I have been saying it just because I'm like, whatever, like if it's going to change the way they treat or act, like I'm just going to say it. And so I wasn't saying anything, but the nurses at the ER, it was like, this two, these two guys, they looked pretty young and on their tag, it said like nurse resident. And so I was like, okay, well, whatever, like, I'm not gonna, whatever it is, what it is, you know? And so they started to try to start an IV and he, he started it. Um, but I could tell that it wasn't completely like in the right place. Um, he took blood out and everything. So I was happy for that. Like he got my labs, but then I knew he was like struggling and he kept moving it around. And I told him, you know what? I just said, if you need to start another IV, like just start another IV. Like I'm not gonna, cause in my head, I'm like, they're going to give me anesthesia through there. Like it has to be a good IV. Like I'm not trying to have a mistake and then I'm there and I, I'm awake or something weird, you know? So I, I was like, no, 
just start a new one. So he did. Um, and yeah, I mean, I talked to the anesthesiologist and he was like, he was a nurse anesthetist. So he, he talked to me about what he was going to give me. And I asked him to please be specific. Um, and I wrote everything down and I told him, um, that I'm breastfeeding. So if he could just take that into consideration. Um, so he did. So he like moved one of the medications and gave me something else. Um, just because I knew like if I were to breast, I just wanted to be able to breastfeed pretty quickly. And so I spoke with Jamie and she was like, all that medication is fine to breastfeed. So I was happy about that. Um, and then they, they took me back. Um, and the doctor came in, he talked to me pretty quickly and he, he just talked to me about what his plan was. So it was going to be a laparoscopic procedure, which is just when they do like the small incisions and try to go in like that. He did tell me that if he were to go in and then there was like a lot of blood, he would have to open more like a larger incision to to handle everything um, that was going on. Um, and I did ask him like if he did this a lot and he said, no, not for this specific thing. He's like, I do take out fallopian tubes, right? but not for ectopic pregnancies. And I understand it's like pretty rare that it happens. So I just don't think it's because he was inexperienced. I think it's just that it's not something you see a lot. Um, so he, uh, I mean, I was like a little nervous, but I was like, he's been, he's very experienced. Like he has a lot of years of experience. So I'm like, okay, he never gave me the option to not take out the tube, but just with what the high risk doctor had told me and stuff, I was like, maybe it's better that they just take it out because if it's going to put me at a higher risk later, I got to want to go through this again. Uh, so they took me back. Um, and I, I just, I remember them, you know, an anesthesiologist telling me what he was giving me and then I just fell asleep. Um, but I was scared of all of that cause I've never had any type of surgery or anything. So I've never had anesthesia, anything like that. Um, and then I just remember waking up and, um, the, I remember the doctor telling Chris that, oh, you know what? Like it ruptured, like it was ruptured. So, and so I don't know if I had some sort of intuition that I knew that that was going to happen. And the thing is the pain never got worse. So I had no idea. I don't know when it ruptured. I don't know if it ruptured as he was going in, if it had already been ruptured or I'm, my assumption is that it had already ruptured and that's why the doctor had seen the blood pooling already. Um, but I never had a lot of pain. So that was kind of scary for me because it just never clued you in on what was happening. So the recovery after that, I think emotionally, I was kind of like, after like the actual surgery, I just kind of like went into like physical, like healing mode because I, you know, immediately when I woke up from, from anesthesia, I was having like this horrible chest pain. And I guess like the physical sensations were just so overwhelming that I couldn't like think about what happened. Like it was more like, oh, my chest hurts. Like, and it was all normal stuff, but um, because they apparently they like put a lot of gas into you when they're going to do these type of surgeries, especially pelvic surgeries and gynecological surgeries from what I read, they put a lot of gas to, to be able to see what they're looking at and they try to take it all out, but apparently it stays in your body. And I mean, just as a nerd, like I just look into stuff and like apparently the gas like irritates a nerve and the nerve is super long and it goes like down your chest. And so that's why you feel like pressure in your chest and you feel 
pressure in your shoulders. And it's like horrible. Like it is a very, very bad pain. Like my wounds did not hurt. Like my abdomen was a little bit sore, but I mean, if I hadn't had the pain from the gas that was trapped, I would have felt like way better, but it was really, really bad pain. And since it's in your chest, as you can imagine, like you think you're having like a heart attack or something's happening. Um, so it was really scary, um, and painful for me. And that lasted for like three days. Um, And then I thought, okay, well, now that that's gone, like we're in the clear, but I actually started to get really bad anxiety, Um, like super bad. Like I don't even, I mean, I've struggled with anxiety for a lot of my life, um, but it's very like situational. Um, It doesn't go on for like long periods of time. Um, I'm able to like cope through it because prior to this, like when I would get anxiety, It was mostly like that loss of like breath that you can't catch your breath kind of thing. And I like, I've just learned to cope with that and deal with it. But this time, like it was way different for me. Like it's been very different. So I'll get like lightheaded um, and, and I get palpitations or I feel like I'm getting palpitations. And so after surgery, that was really scary for me because Like you start to think like, what if something's wrong with the surgery or like, what if, you know, something went wrong and that's why I'm feeling this way. And then you just spiral in your thoughts. And so the anxiety has been probably the worst part of this. Um, I just feeling super, super anxious um, and and really having a hard time controlling it because I don't know because the symptoms are so physical that it's like I don't know what to do um to control it and so that has been hard and I think it's like starting to affect my relationships like with my mom and with Chris because they see me all the time and I think they're getting frustrated which I understand because they just want me to be better you know they just want me to feel better And I think with everything that has happened, like my mom has a lot of trauma with my dad and her being like his primary caregiver, like she just, it's a lot for her. Um, And it's a lot for Chris because he's had to, he's had to really help me like, because I've been needing a lot of breaks, like I need to lay down, I need to not be doing stuff. And it's hard, you know, I have a toddler. Um. So just kind of working around that has been really hard. I I am in therapy. Um, I just recently had a client that I had to go see on Saturday because my anxiety, so it lasted for like really, really bad for like a week. And then I had therapy. I felt a lot better for like two and a half weeks. Um, And then last week, like uh, I went to go see a a client for a prenatal visit just to talk to her and do like our prenatal assessment. And it was really like good. I had such a great time and it was about two hours and a half. Felt good, was not sad, was not anything. And then when I got home, I just felt super exhausted. Like I couldn't even keep my eyes open. Like I just, and then I started to feel anxious. And then that stayed for like three days. I'm still struggling a little bit now, like even retelling the story for some reason, like I did start to feel lightheaded in the middle of this. Um, so I talked to my therapist on Monday or t- Tuesday, I can't remember, and um, I told her what was happening and she told me that it's likely because I saw my client. Um, she said that 
although on like a conscious level, I wasn't aware, like I didn't feel bad. She said that likely like my body, cause you know, trauma and like your body remembers things that have happened to you. Although you might not think something's a trigger, like your body goes into like a protective mode. So she thinks that even like the smell of her looking at her talking about what we were talking about, that my body just remembered what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And that's why it triggered like an anxiety. And, you know, it's nothing to do with my client. Like they're beautiful people and, it, you know, but it was just like my body. Like I think there's a book that Jeanette was telling me about. It's called like The Body Keeps Score. And it's just about those little traumas that or big traumas that we have and your body just somehow remembers that those things and, you know, and then it, you have anxiety and you're like, why am I anxious? And you can't pinpoint what happened, but it's because your body knows and it just triggers. So it, it's been kind of wild, you know, and, and anytime I get like a little bit of pain, that also triggers me mm-hmm. because, and I was reading that sometimes like because they did take out my tube um, on the left side. That's the one that they took out. There's like residual pain sometimes, like kind of like that phantom limb pain, like when you hear about someone that's like lost their leg, they can still mm-hmm. feel their leg even though it's not there. So some people have that with the fallopian tube, like, because it is like they took out, although it's like super tiny, I mean, it's this tiny thing, but they did take something out of my body. So I was having like some residual pain there and that would give me anxiety because it was that little pain again. And then I just think like, well, this is how it all started. It was this little pain. And then it ended up being this big thing. Um, so it's been, it's been very challenging for me. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like it's not been easy. Um, you know, and I want to think, you know, I, a lot of my friends have been very helpful, um, just checking in on me, but I think the ones that like, uh, really get like the VIP, (laughs) or not VIP, MVP, <laughs> are going to be uh, Carla and Jamie because you guys know me well and I don't, I'm not the type that's going to ask Carla to come see me. Like that's just not who I am. Like I'm very hermit-like, although like inside I might be hoping for someone to come see me. Um But Carla came to see me like the day after. She didn't ask any like she didn't ask me she was like I'm going um do you need me to take anything um and Jamie did the same thing she came that uh, in the morning right after she also did not ask if she could come she was just like hey I'm going um just to check on you um and it made a big difference um for me and I know that me and Chris are really thankful for that um and I know when Carla came, like, I didn't feel like having visitors because I was having really bad anxiety. Um, and I just, but her visit helped, like, helped me a lot. So and thank you, Carla, for that. Um, because I would have never asked for you to come see me. Um, so that's been really helpful in recovering. Um, but it's been really rough. <laughs> I'm like... So this would be my fifth pregnancy and I only have my son. And now there's the like question of the future. You know, it's like, well, what, what's next and what's going to happen? Um, the high-risk doctor, he, was, he did tell me like it really doesn't have much of, a, of, a, of an effect on your fertility. 
Um, I'm obviously going to be at a higher risk for this to happen again, like regardless, because that's one of the risk factors is if you've already had one, that it could happen again. Um, but he did tell me that, um, you know, and I liked that he told this in front of Chris because I told him, like, is there anything I could have done or what do I do next time? Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, do everything exactly how you did it. He's like, and that made me feel better because there's nothing that I did for this to happen. There's nothing like he told me. It's, they don't even know why. He's just like sometimes like when the sperm and egg meet, they're supposed to just go down the fallopian tube and go into the uterus. He's like sometimes for whatever reason, they just get stuck. And that's what happened. It just got stuck. Um, and so, you know, but you have that fear of like, is it going to happen again? And is it going to be worse the next time? Or am I never going to have to, am I going to lose another tube? And then I don't, because after you lose both, your only option after that is IVF. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you think of that and and it's scary. Like, um, I'm not planning on getting pregnant anytime soon. Um, I think there's still a lot of healing that needs to happen. That's a personal choice. The doctor was like, you could get pregnant, like, as soon as you want. That's up to you. Um. But mentally and emotionally, I think Chris and my mom especially, and well, me too, you know, I'm I'm not taking this easy. But I think as like my personality is like, let's do it again so that we mm-hmm. could try to get our end goal like, and I could forget about what's happened, you know, like, mm-hmm. but um, my mom and Chris are like, not that my mom, I mean, I get it. She's not going to make decisions for us. And neither is Chris, right? I get, I mean, Chris is more because it's his, he's the dad of these kids, but um I do take into consideration their feelings. We've been through a lot in the last um, few months and and uh, just how bad this has gone for me. I don't think it's fair to to put it on them again because if it, you know, it's just not like we need some time to heal. So, you know, I'm going to take it as it, like my, my therapist was like, let's just reevaluate every once in a while, see how you're doing. And take it there. Like we're not going to give a time frame, but it's not something that we're planning on happening soon because we just need to work through all of this. Um, so right now, like I was seeing my therapist every week for a little bit, and then I went to every two weeks, and now I'm back on every week again because of she just wanted to follow up with me because I did actually have a birth that day. So when I was talking to her, my client had just texted me that her water broke, and I was just like. I didn't want to not be able to serve my client because of how I was feeling. Like I didn't want to get a panic attack. Like I also had, I was going to see Taylor Swift the weekend after my um, surgery and I was kind of bummed because I just could not bring myself. Like I kept thinking like I could get on a flight, uh, but I just, I kept thinking that I was going to have a panic attack on the flight and I just couldn't, like, I just couldn't. Um, so I had to sell the tickets and it was just, so yeah, I had tended a birth this week and just trying not to be like letting my own personal life affect what's going on, but also realizing that maybe it's going to be a trigger for me because of the loss that I've had. And, you know, I don't tell my clients my personal life. Oh, I missed a birth also the day I had surgery my client, when my other client went into labor and I had to, thank goodness, Jamie like went and everything was okay. But I just, you know, it's, it's been kind of hard in that way. But, um, 
I do have some questions. Um, and I guess, how did I look to you, Carla? I feel like everybody that has seen me, like Chris too, like I guess I didn't look good. And I know I was struggling, you know, and, and thank goodness for my little brother too. Like he's been coming around because I think he's been worried about me and and they come and try to kind of like bring some some light into the day. But I don't know how you saw me. I was super anxious that day. Like I that was not a good day when you came. I mean, you made it better, but I was struggling. I think and I think that's what um because you're saying this, right? And I know you, so I knew you weren't okay. <clears throat> but as someone that like also hides being like behind their anxiety and they don't portray it, right? Like when you're looking at someone that you love, you're like, I know they're gonna go through something because I know them so well. And the truth is not, because to me, no, you didn't look okay, but you didn't look anxious. You look mad, you look you look upset. Where if I had not known you and your history and just know how, like, I think Chris and I were really worried and I was like, try not to blow up his phone. But kind of me was like, why are you not giving me a life by life update of like minute by minute? Um, You know, and uh, obviously when you told me, I told Ivan and I'm like, I'm just really anxious. I don't know what's going to happen. I may not be home when you get home from work with Cassie. And so, like, knowing that is, like, I saw your face, and if someone that wouldn't know you would have seen, like, you were just mad. You were just upset, mm. but not anxious, not to, like, how we all put this, like, mask over our faces and kind of hide our emotions. And I think it's important for us to remember that when we're talking to our friends or our family that may go through a loss like this, that anxiety looks very different for everybody. It you kind of have an idea if they're anxious they may be like picking at their nails they may be like jittery they may you may have an idea what anxiety looks like but it it portrays itself so differently for everybody so to me it's like I knew I wanted to see you I knew it was gonna call me as well and I wanted to see how you were doing and really get to see you and be like okay but if I didn't know you any better I'd be like oh Cindy's sad and she's like mad about it but I would have like erroneously say she's fine when like I know the truth and so like that makes me really like think about other friends and just other women in my life it's like or even the men in our lives right because I mean I'm sure that was super scary for Chris too and like he texts me a few days later like you know just kind of like saying thank you and I'm like I'm sure he's struggling too but like on the outside it didn't look like you know like it could have been like an emergency 10 you guys were looking like at six where you really need a help and you guys really need the support. And like, you don't know unless you're like actively engaging with your friends, with your family. Like, so that, that to me is scary because like, I know this and kind of hearing you relive it and tell it. And the way I remember it is so not different, but it, I know it's a sort of, it's not the full truth. So it does like, it kind of reminds me too, when I was struggling with through my own anxiety postpartum, it's like, now I know why people, not that they didn't want to help, but it's like I hit it so well mm-hmm. that they didn't know I needed help. Yeah. So like balancing that aspect, you know, as you're talking about it, and I think it's important for all of us as we're listening that just keep an eye out for those people in our lives. And if we're the ones struggling with anxiety, to remember that we're not alone and it's not that people don't care. It's that sometimes we're really good at hiding it that we be we ourselves are misleading those people around us that are trying to help us because yeah you look a little out of bed but you just had surgery and you just went through something traumatic and I know how many miscarriages you've had so I know all this 
insider information that kind of maybe clue me in better, but how you and I not had the history, like, it sucks. Yeah, like, I, I mean, and you're right, like, I don't have that history. Like, people don't know me like that, even though they're my friends. And I think, um, you know, if like you said, advice for anyone that's know someone that's going through a hard time, like, if you, you they may never tell you that they need you to come. And they may never tell you that they want to talk to you on the phone. And sometimes you do need those friends that are just going to show up and not going to ask and are just going to say, you know what, I'm going to go spend time with you and that's it. Because um, it makes a really big difference. And I know I, you know, I have like Rosemary is a close friend of mine and they, they're her sister came in like, we're not like I, they, they've loved me a lot since my dad has passed away because I don't have sisters, right? So they've kind of brought me into their sisterhood and they dropped off coffee. But I think also like they don't know, they don't want to intrude, right? Like people don't want to intrude and Rosemary lives in Dallas. She doesn't live here. So sometimes there's not much, but I think even calling and, you know, FaceTiming, get, getting your eyes on them because a lot of people can just suffer in silence and you know, I told my therapist, like, I never want it to become unbearable because the people that that has become unbearable for, like, I cannot imagine, like, how dark of a place they were in. And it's just, it's really scary. Um, it's not something that I take lightly. Um, a lot of people have opened up about their own personal issues with anxiety and what they've done. And I'm totally not against medication. I think Chris right now thinks I'm against it, but I'm not. I just think if it is something I need, that's what I need. Um, if I get to that point, I, I don't want to live like this forever. It's very hard. Um, and I don't think it's possible. It, it, it's really hard. Um, but just real quick, because I know um, I'm going to answer really quick some questions. Um, some people were asking me with all the issues with like laws, uh, reproductive laws, if I had any issues or if it affected me. It did not, thankfully. Um, it was handled quickly and appropriately. Um, I had no, nobody tell me anything. It was just, it is what it is. And it was taken care of. Um, somebody asked me about what my feelings are going into the future. And like I talked about, um, I'm, I'm scared. I think next time I get a positive pregnancy test, if I do, it's going to be very scary for me. Um, I think differently, like I'll probably go to the high risk doctor, uh, pretty quickly just so that I can confirm that it's not in a tube. Um, and then kind of go from there. I'm still planning to home birth. That would still be my goal, but I would just want to verify that everything's okay. Um, and as far as, so one thing that I did, and I've showed with some people, but the doctor did show me a picture of my tube. Um, I have it. And it's crazy because you could actually see the baby in my tube. And she had a head, she had her body, she had her limbs. And that was kind of hard to see. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was hard to see. Chris doesn't like to show anybody. I think he thinks it's very, um, like we have an opposite view. I think in his head, it's like it's a baby that passed. And like, why are we showing it to people? But in my head, it's like, it's my baby. Like, like that was my baby. And she was forming like, you know, I, my other miscarriages never got to the point of like, there's a baby there. And it, like one of them, I did pass the tissue that I thought was the, the baby, but this time to actually see that it was forming perfectly, 
it was just not in the right place. It was kind of hard to digest that, that it was like, had it been in my uterus, this would have been a different story. It was forming just right. Um, so that picture, like, because someone's asking me, how did the medical providers care for my baby? Um, I think the most that the doctor really said is like, it was, this is kind of sad as he showed me the image of the baby. And I was like, well, that's not kind of sad. That's very sad. Um, and he told me like, he just confirmed because I thought it was my baby, but Chris kept saying it wasn't. And then when the doctor told me like, oh, I wanted to show you this. I was like, that's my baby, huh? And he's like, yeah, that's the baby. And I, I it brought me like some closure, like it was there. Um, and then advice for anyone that may go through this, I think, man, it's hard. I don't know. Like if you just feel, you know, I've heard horrible stories about local people in El Paso that have had something like this happen and were ignored. Ugh, I just advocate, ask for a different opinion, go to a different doctor. I think I learned that the ultrasounds are not all built the same, which I knew, but I thought that the one in the ER would be able to do something. It did not. Um, the only one that could tell was the specialist and, and, and getting to them. It's just, I mean, listen to your body. I think, I really do think that charting my cycle, working with the NAPRO provider saved my life. Had I not known, I could have easily been like, my dates are off. Um, I could have waited and something worse could have happened. Um, so just, I mean, I would advocate like charting your cycle and really trying to take control of that as much as we could know so that when it happens, if it does, which I hope it never does to anybody, but that you're aware and you have all this information. Um, but yeah, just advocate for yourself. Um, there's really, it sucks because the symptoms are so weird that it's hard to tell. But yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the whole story. Um, it's been really hard guys. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I mean, hopefully this story is helpful for someone. Um, and I know not everybody can share things like this and I don't think it's hard. Like I was listening to a song today about like some things you can never speak about. Mm -hmm. And just because you might not be able to speak about it, like hearing someone else speak about it, I hope it's helpful because there are some things that there's things in my life that I don't think I could ever speak about. And so I'll, even though I'm open about a lot of things, like I think Carla could probably agree, like there's things in our life that we wouldn't openly share. Um, and that's okay. Um, you know, as long as you're getting the help that, that you need and, and therapy has been really good. And that's where I have found a lot of support, but yeah, that's it. Um, thank you guys. Thank you, Carla. We're just here. We're going to go through it, but you know, like you said, it's to me, the, the last thing is just that it is really scary what you went through because we think your topic pregnancies can be very painful. And mm -hmm. the few times I've heard of them, it's been someone that was in a lot of pain and they really trigger them to seek the help. But then stories like yours where the pain was there, but it wasn't terrible. Someone as myself that's deadly afraid of hospitals, deadly afraid of like being in the doctor. I see myself of like, I would have waited. I would have been mm -hmm. like, mm, no, I'll go next week. Uh, like I would have found ways to kind of like 
push myself, but then also I can see myself spiraling to where like I have gas and I'm like, oh my God, it's on top of pregnancy. Like, you know, I could mm. spiral either way where I'm like very apathetic to it or very like anxious about it. But I think just being aware of like those are the realities and like they're very rare. But if it mm. happens, like just just educating yourself, right? Like that's what we always talk about is that sometimes we don't know what we don't know, right? And so it's just kind of like hearing these stories. I'm glad that, you know, it's very painful that it's happened, but I'm glad you're able to share that story with us because it may literally save someone's life, right? Like just you mm-hmm. as a listener listening to Cindy's story, it wasn't painful, it wasn't this, these are the things that I track. Like it may trigger you like down the road to, Think about a friend, think about yourself, think about a sister that may be going through it and just kind of like listen to those warning signs where sometimes you're like, I may be overreacting, but sometimes it's just a matter of like overreacting and seeking that help because like, you know, in your gut feeling is like something's off where mm-hmm. you, like you said, we could have had a very, very sad story where it really would have been a lot more traumatic where you could have like, mm-hmm. you know, some, something could have ruptured and you've been at home mm-hmm. instead of the hospital with the help and so those are things that I just kind of say like keep in mind with your friends and with your family and then once again it's just anxiety displays so differently for all of us and Mm -hmm. those of us that have struggled with um, mental health issues are very good at masking them and being very productive members of society and kind of like putting this persona that we're okay when we're really not and then turning around and feeling like we don't have the help or the support or that people don't see us, but we also put this front that we're fine. And like I said, like seeing you mm-hmm. that day, I knew the facts I seeing you was different. Mm-hmm. You know? So like, just keep that in mind. And so I'm like very grateful for the community that we built and, you know, I'm very happy that you're still here and that you're still, we laugh and that we laugh about like things that others may find really inappropriate, but it's just how you and I with all of it um, and it's yep. just like for everybody but I'll say it time and time again I'm just so glad that we get to share these stories with people and then like it hurt us and it you know it's something that we went through but it's something that can help someone else you know yep. just putting it out there so big hugs to you Cindy. thank you thank you guys